the museum as Funhouse. Funhouse, noun. A building or an attraction in an amusement park that features various devices intended to surprise, frighten, or amuse. The American Heritage Dictionary. I threw the bottle rack and the urinal into their faces as a challenge, and now they admire them for their aesthetic beauty. Marcel Duchamp, 1946. Everyone knows that American culture has undergone drastic changes over the last several decades. Perhaps no cultural institution has changed more drastically in that time than the art museum. Forty years ago, the typical art museum was a staid and stately place. Its architecture, often neoclassical, tended to suggest grandeur and to elicit contemplation. Soaring columns and marble halls bespoke an opulence of purpose as well as material wealth. Even museums that departed from the neoclassical model, such as New York's Museum of Modern Art, strove to embody a dignified seriousness about the vocation of art. At that time, the museum was widely regarded as a temple of art, a special place set apart from the vicissitudes of the quotidian. The decibel level was low, decorum high, and crowds generally were sparse. In the culture at large, there was a broad agreement that the art museum had a twofold curatorial purpose, to preserve and exhibit objects of historical interest and commanding aesthetic achievement, and to nurture the public's direct experience of those objects. Art, not amenity, came first on the museum's menu. The seriousness of the art museum was a reflection of the seriousness of the art world. If some works of art were deliberately playful or even frivolous, Art itself was entrusted with the important task of educating the imagination and helping to humanize and refine the emotions. Accordingly, art museums were democratic, but not demotic institutions. They were open, but not necessarily accessible to all. The bounty they offered exacted the homage of informed interest as the price of participation. Accessibility was a privilege anyone could earn, not a right that everyone enjoyed. The 1960s put paid to all that. There are still a handful of holdouts, odd institutions here and there that cling stubbornly to the old ways. But the blockbuster mentality that began developing in the 1970s helped to transform many art museums into all-purpose cultural emporia. Increasingly, success was measured by quantity, not quality, by the take at the box office rather than at the bar of aesthetic discrimination. Indeed, as the egalitarian imperatives of the 60s insinuated themselves more and more thoroughly into mainstream culture, the very ideal of aesthetic excellence came under fire. Adulation, not connoisseurship, was the order of the day. Many commentators, even many artists, rejected outright the pursuit of aesthetic excellence. They saw it as an elitist holdover from the discredited hierarchies of the past. Others subordinated the aesthetic dimension of art to one or another political program or intellectual obsession. Notoriety, not artistic accomplishment, became the chief goal of art, even as terms like challenging and transgressive took precedence over beautiful and other traditional commendations in the lexicon of critical praise. Art was still a talismanic necessity, the presence of which underwrote an institution's social pretensions as well as its tax-exempt status. But increasingly, art functioned more as a catalyst than an end in itself, one attraction among many and not necessarily the most important. The coffee bar or restaurant, the movie theater or gift store or interactive computer center vied for attention. 
art merely added the desired patina of cultural sophistication. The triumph of quantity over quality showed itself in other ways as well. It used to be that art museums were like oases, relatively few and far between. But in the 1960s it became an article of faith in some quarters that anyone could be an artist. It is our misfortune that so many people seem to have believed that dogma. Suddenly there was a Niagara of new art clamoring for attention. Established art museums undertook ambitious building programs to house the stuff. Museumless towns and college campuses scurried to remedy their lack. When it came to anything that could be congregated under the banner of the arts, the watchword was, more is better. Everywhere one looked there was a new or greatly expanded museum or art center. No self-respecting population dared be without some visible commitment to the arts. But the curious logic that subordinated aesthetic to political considerations also meant that while possessing a museum became a badge of social respectability, respectability itself had become a deeply suspect idea. Art museums are still monuments to civic pride, and sometimes assets to civic coffers. The irony is that today many museums extol values utterly at odds with the civilization that produced and that continues to sustain them. I had occasion to ponder all this on a brief trip to the Berkshires with my wife and two-and-a-half-year-old son in the winter of 2001. We stopped off to see Mass Mocha, the sprawling 13-acre complex of reclaimed factory buildings in downtown North Adams that only a few years ago was called the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, but is now formally known by its shorter, more chic acronym. The last time I had visited Mass Mocha was in the fall of 1997, some 18 months before the 31-point-something million project opened to the public. It is an extraordinary sight. Twenty-seven buildings, mostly dating from the latter part of the 19th century, huddle next to the south branch of the Hoosick River. A network of courtyards, elevated bridges, and narrow passageways imparts an intimate, village-like feeling to the fenced-in complex, or campus, as the museum's literature likes to put it. Like many disused industrial sites, those old brick buildings have a peculiar poetry about them, a certain eldritch charm that has partly to do with the site, partly with the broken handsomeness of the ramshackle utilitarian structures, partly with the spectacle of so much human purpose set forth and then abandoned. It has often been suggested that the architecture of such institutions, instinct as it is with the romance of a bygone era, is its most appealing work of art. That is certainly the case at Mass Mocha. When the electronics company that had last occupied the site decamped in the mid-1980s, it left some 4,000 people, nearly a quarter of North Adams's population, out of work. What to do with the site? Michael Dukakis was then governor of Massachusetts, and his Massachusetts miracle was turning out to be about as successful as the famous photograph of him posing in an army tank. Credit for the idea of Mass Mocha must go to Thomas Krenz. Mr. Krenz has been the director of the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum and its ever-expanding empire since 1988. But before that he had been the director of the Williams College Museum of Art a few miles up the road from North Adams. Looking for suitable space to exhibit large-scale minimalist art, he was shown the disused factory buildings. It was love at first sight. It was he who first suggested that the site be converted into a mixed-use cultural center. But if Mr. Krenz had the original idea for what became Mass Mocha, credit for bringing it into being belongs to Joseph C. Thompson, 
the institution's director. Mr. Thompson is clearly a patient man, for he guided the project through innumerable delays, setbacks, changes of plans, defections, and funding crises. In many ways, then, the very existence of Mass Mocha is an example of triumph over adversity. Mr. Thompson and his colleagues must be given high marks for persistence, and it should also be noted that the working-class town of North Adams has rather a lot riding on Mass Mocha. After all, the site occupies about a third of the town's business district. The hope is that by combining the mantra of art with some tony commercial tenants, Mass Mocha might become a profitable tourist attraction, just like Tanglewood down in Lenox. Will it work? There has been some encouraging news. Mass Mocha logged just over 100,000 visitors in its first year. Commercial rents in the complex have more than doubled, and as Mr. Thompson observed in an interview in downtown North Adams, there are two cappuccino machines where before there were none. Nevertheless, I remain skeptical. It is understandable that people should flock to a beautiful spot in the Berkshires to listen to performances of the music of Mozart and Beethoven. Will they also rally round in sufficient numbers to visit what is still a pretty grim mill town to look at installations of work by Josef Boys and Robert Rosenberg? Time will tell. Much will depend upon the economy, and especially on the fate of the high-tech dot-commy enterprises that Mass Mocha has, in part, hitched its fortunes to. In any event, it is important to distinguish between Mass Mocha's economic prospects and its artistic promise. Virtually every slip of paper emanating from the museum announces that it is the largest center for contemporary visual and performing arts in the United States. The museum is also fond of describing itself as a permanent work in progress, a cultural factory for the 21st century, an open laboratory for the development and 